Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Katie. I am really looking forward to today's episode. It's been a long time in the, I guess, in the idea and in the making. Yeah. (laughs) And something that we've been asked to cover by folks who listen to the podcast regularly, but also some folks on Twitter that interact with me and said, why haven't you talked about gender expression and identity yet? So a good challenge, and we've decided to take it on. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get into that, though, we want to remind you one last time that we'll be recording our final episode for 2018 in early December, and it's going to be our listener request episode. And that means, yay! yeah, yeah, it should be fun. We've gotten some really great questions throughout the year and over the last couple of weeks as we've prompted you to share with us what you want us to address or talk about. And we would love for you to get those in by Monday, December 3rd, because we're going to be recording a few days after that. So if you've got a burning question or a comment that you want to make, that you want us to incorporate into this show, please send us a quick email at team at kindredspodcast.com. Awesome. I can't wait. We've already gotten some good questions, and I'm just really excited to talk about everything and um, list some of that stuff up on our podcast. So yay, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, But today, we are going to be talking about gender identity and expression. And we've talked about gender roles before, uh, if you remember in episode four, gender roles and dress codes. But today, we want to dive a little bit deeper into the binary concept of gender and think about a more expansive way of looking at gender. Because even in that episode, we really talked about more like boys and girls and Mm -hmm. expectations for men and women. And so today we really want to expand what we mean by gender. And specifically, more and more, gender expression and identity are becoming visible and more public in both positive and negative ways. And most recently, I think our administration has been making policy targeted policy that either oppresses or erases trans people. Um, so we we feel like it's really important to talk about this now. And one of the ways that they are currently doing this is by controlling the very definition of gender. And the way that they're doing it is by conflating sex assigned at birth, which is based strictly on genitalia, with gender as a whole. And we'll hear from our guests in a few minutes about why that's a problem. One of the reasons that we really wanted to talk about this, that it's so important to us, is that we know that trans people are at particular risk for hate crimes and other forms of violence, and we don't often get to hear those stories in mainstream media. In 2017, advocates reported the tragic deaths of 29 transgender individuals across the United States, and that was the highest number ever recorded in a single year, and often those deaths are a result of violence. We know that trans women of color... Uh, specifically, are the ones most often targeted. So this is an area where we are learning and growing, and we want to share what we're learning with you. We have also made some mistakes that have hurt people or made people uncomfortable. And so by sharing that, we want to, we hope that um, maybe those of you listening can avoid making those same mistakes in the future. So before we get started, Katie, we're going to be sharing a really awesome conversation that you had with a friend. And there are some terms and some words that y'all use uh, that we want to make sure that everybody understands. Mm -hmm. So what's one of the first um, 
one of the first concepts that you talk about, I think, was um, cisgender. I think that's a word you use pretty early on in your conversation. Can you explain what that means? Yes, cisgender. And I got this definition in the next few definitions from the Trans Students Educational Resources, which I will make sure we link to in the show notes. But cisgender, or C-I-S, gender, is a term for someone who exclusively identifies as their sex assigned at birth for their gender identity. So the term cisgender is not indicative of gender expression, like how we dress or style our hair or other things, our sexual orientation, our hormonal makeup, physical anatomy, or how one is perceived in daily life. So I am cisgender. I have was assigned female at birth, and I am comfortable uh, expressing myself in a female identity with all the markers of femininity. And um, so I would identify as cisgender. And I do as well. Yeah. What about trans? Yeah, when we say trans, we actually mean um, encompassing, that's an encompassing term of many gender identities of those who do not identify or exclusively identify with their sex assigned at birth. The term transgender is not indicative of gender expression, sexual orientation, hormonal makeup, physical anatomy, or how one is perceived in daily life. And one quick note, I should have thought of this. Sometimes folks say transgendered with an ED, and that is not correct. It should be transgender. It's not something that's happened to a person. It's, It's an identity. So just a quick note on that. Yeah. And I think that's a really good example of how language kind of is always evolving. And so it's important for us to stay um, up to date on the most like current usages of certain words. So transgendered is a way that people might have, uh, a word that people might have used a long time ago. And it's one that is not in favor now. I guess what's important about that is knowing that sometimes the information we have we think is right. And if someone corrects us on that, we need to be open to hearing that maybe that's not the way that it's, um, that we should use that word anymore. Right. And not take it personally and just try to exactly. learn it and move on, <laughs> which we'll, we'll talk about. And actually, the next term we were going to discuss, non-binary, is one of those that I suspect will change because I think mm. sometimes when we define something by what it's not, it can often have a negative connotation. But for now, non-binary is the preferred umbrella term for all genders other than female, male, or woman, man. Um, used as an adjective, i.e. Jesse is a non-binary person. Not all non-binary people identify as trans and not all trans people identify as non-binary. Sometimes and increasingly, non-binary can be used to describe the aesthetic presentation expression of a cisgender or transgender person. So basically that just means like not one or the other, not like falling into a dichotomy. It's more expansive than that. A question that I have been hearing a lot is why why the emphasis on pronouns? Mm-hmm. Why are pronouns important? You know, people who maybe don't know anybody who isn't cisgender um, don't understand why people might be upset if you use the wrong pronoun mm-hmm. with them. Um, and so why are pronouns important? Uh, pronouns are important because it's in, it's in part how we kind of categorize with language what people are. And um, though English is not as gendered as some of the romantic languages like Spanish, where everything is an O or an Mm -hmm. A at the end, we do have these pronouns for individuals that have 
been gendered uh, in the binary, male, he, him, his, or female, she, her, hers. Uh, But now folks are using gender neutral pronouns like they, them, theirs uh, as the pronouns that they would prefer people to use for them. And that takes some getting used to, I think, if we're mm-hmm. we're all cultured to say he or she. And so um, one thing I'll say that might be a practical tip is if you know someone who identifies as non-binary or prefers they, them, theirs, is to practice with a friend talking about that person mm-hmm. as a third person. Because it really helps your brain retrain to use what is usually a plural pronoun for a singular pronoun. Yeah. And, you know, we were taught growing up like in English class that if you don't know the gender of the subject of a sentence you should always use he or use he or she and um that to use they is uh is grammatically incorrect and that's something we've just got to get past and I don't think it's the rule anymore is it I feel like there's might even be a specific rule change that might have been a rule change but it's happened since I learned grammar yes. and English in school. <laughs> we're getting so old. Most people, yeah, I know. We're getting old. <laughs> I think people who are our contemporaries or older probably were not around for that change. And so it not only does it feel a little awkward to use they, them, theirs to, to describe one person, but it, it feels like you're breaking a rule. <laughs> and right. So it does. It's just a, yeah, you've got to get, it's something you've got to make that mental leap and get past it. And the more you practice, from my experience, the more you practice, the easier it gets with time. But be prepared to make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> Absolutely. And and the, our guest today, this is a great example of a time that I made a mistake and I've had to retrain my brain because my friend, Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza, is someone who prefers they, them, theirs for them. And when we met for the first time um, at a conference, we had actually been in a book collection together, but I had met and had not met in person. So knew of each other, but had not met in person. Mm-hmm. And um, I assumed Robin's preferred pronouns and they were wrong. And um, to Robin's credit, um, they turned to me and said, just real quickly, my preferred pronouns are they, them, theirs. And of course, I apologize. I felt like such a jerk, um, you know, but to their credit, Robin just quickly forgave me and um I learned to say they, them, theirs. And more than that, we've become friends and have developed a great relationship. And I continue to learn so much from them. Um, I feel so blessed that our home in North Carolina is one of the places that Robin comes to get away from a very hectic speaking and study and travel schedule and likes to come hang out at our house and drink bourbon and (laughs) have good conversation. So Um, that's how we've gotten to know each other. And the last time they were in town, I asked if we could record this uh, conversation about gender identity and expression. So before we get to the conversation, I want to introduce Robin a little bit more formally. Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza is a scholar and an activist theologian who identifies as non-binary and Latinx. Uh, Latinx is another great term to know. Um, It's a gender-inclusive alternative of Latino or Latina. You might have seen it spelled. And I don't try to say it with a with an accent because that just sounds silly for me. But sometimes you'll hear people say it a little bit differently than I did. Um, and like I said, Robin, someone that I'm fortunate enough to have gotten to know over the last several years, and who occasionally stops in our neck of the wo- in the neck of the woods, and was gracious enough to spend some time in conversation with me. So, with for, without further ado, this is our conversation about gender identity and expression. Welcome, Robin, to Kindreds. It's Thank been- you. It's been a long time in the making to get you here because we were supposed to record 
something about gender identity and expression over the summer, and then you had some big fancy thing happen, like some speaking engagement that came up. Except I don't think that I was the one that canceled. What? I think that you needed to reschedule, so I think that it wasn't me. All right, I'll have to go look at my notes. (laughs) Yeah, so we're going to talk about gender. Yes. What do you think about gender? I think gender is a construction. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I think um, gender is how, from an early age, we try to make sense of the world. And I'm seeing that through the lens of my four-year-old's eyes right now just like trying to figure out who everybody is that seems like one of the basic things that she wants to talk about is like boys and girls yeah so that it's already embedded yeah like that that binary is already embedded in sam's imagination yeah i think that that's right and you know we've done i've tried to show her that gender doesn't define like how you get to express yourself so we've picked up books about like boys who like sparkles and and that kind of thing to kind of open up her imagination some. But even then, she, I see her kind of struggle with that dissonance of like, but wait a second, you know, boys don't do that. So that's kind of the only sort of conversation that we've had. We have not gotten into gender is a is on a spectrum, right? <laughs> Quite yet, <laughs> or that it's that it's. A social construction that right. is used to categorize people. Yeah. That is used by the ruling class to marginalize some and benefit others, right? Right. So you and I both identify very differently. Yes. I identify as a straight, cis, white lady, Christian. What else? Southern. White lady, Christian. <laughs> white lady, Christian. The yeah. South. Um, well-educated, middle class. Did I miss anything? Probably. And I identify as a non-binary transgender or transqueer Latinx. And we experience gender out in the world very differently. Yep. That's true. So when I think about gender and how I move about the world and how people perceive me, um, my, my sex and my gender align, my sex assigned at birth, Um, aligns with my gender expression and I never have to worry about stuff like where am I going to go to the bathroom is anyone going to stop me um you know folks don't mispronoun me they use she and her and that aligns with what my preferences are um the way that I dress pretty much aligns with how we perceive like a traditional feminine dress I guess and I have long hair and do makeup and shave my legs and all that stuff Mm -hmm. Um, I think the way that I think about my gender being kind of problematic is when I'm you know, out late at night or walking alone by myself. Like the other day I was just walking my dog down the street and had on my workout clothes cause I'd probably just taught a class and it's like getting whistled at or oh, honked wow. at even in my suburb, like right. 25 mile an hour street. Yeah. That kind of thing still happens where I feel like at any point I could be objectified by, um, and- a passerby. And the, like, aggressive catcalling. Yes, which I'm not used to anymore. I kind of, like, when I got, when I would get that when I lived in D.C., I got, like, a very, like, aggressive way about me where I would, like, come back, you know, in, like, this very mean way because I felt like not saying anything was very disempowering, but Mm -hmm. I don't know that responding was that empowering either, but Mm -hmm. it's one of those things. So 
I think that that's kind of a summary of how I experience gender work, walking through the world. So what about you? Yeah, I mean, I have a different experience, obviously, right? Um, <clears throat> my sex assigned at birth is not, uh, is female, and I do not identify as female. My gender expression is what I call masculine of center. So I'm masculine presenting, but in non-normative ways. Um, I don't wear women's clothing. I do shave my legs. I thought that was funny that you that you mentioned that as part of mm-hmm. your gender identity. I shave my legs, but I don't shave my pits, my armpits. Yeah. Um, so I move in the world um, at times, most of the time, as a vulnerable person. Mm. Um, partially because... I do live in the South, and living in the South is important to me. I moved here after the 2016 election to ground myself in the South. But what that also did was it took me out of an an urban environment where there were lots of gender nonconforming, gender queer, and trans people. And it put me in... A region where I am at risk looking the way I look. Mm. An example is when I was in Arkansas a couple years ago when I was assaulted at um, a gas station and and you know I it, I could say lots of things about it that it wasn't a big deal and that I wasn't super hurt um, but for this white guy who shoved me, hmm. it it was something about my being and my presentation flustered him, mm-hmm. right? It provoked him to to violence. Um, and I was just looking for the bathroom. So, like, one of the things that you mentioned was that you never have to worry about using the bathroom. I have a lot of bathroom anxiety. Mm-hmm. Partially because I've been kicked out of both bathrooms. Really? Yeah. And I I prefer to use the women's restroom because it doesn't stink. I think the men's <laughs> bathroom stinks. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little vain. Well, I mean, who wants to use a stinky bathroom? Right, exactly. Like... So, um, but if I'm with um, other, other male-identified folks, then I don't mind using the bathroom together with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that the bathroom raises just a bunch, a bunch of anxiety for me. Yeah. So, so, so my experience is varied that when I'm in thing, places like academic spaces, um, on campuses, I very much, um, am accepted, but when I am in non-academic spaces, there is always a question. And I think, you know, also because I have tattoos and piercings, that raises people's anxiety for so when I'm like in church space, mm-hmm. um, there is a whole question about who I am and whatnot. So I would say I have a varied experience of living a gendered life, and am am always, especially in the South, I have a low level anxiety. When I I just was driving back from Indiana a couple weeks ago, and I had to use the bathroom. And I decided not to stop until I got to a large city. And I was like, I don't know what large city is going to be in between here and Nashville. But, you know, I was afraid to stop. Wow. Yeah. So. What's the impact of having that 
low to moderate to maybe high level anxiety all the time? I mean, what kind of impact does that have on you? Well, you know, one of the, you know, this, one of the things that I do to take care of myself is to take a siesta every day. And, and part of that is, you know, the, the adrenaline is always going for mm-hmm. me. And, um, you know, I think today driving to Greenville, I have notified the people, you know, that I'll be driving and, and I, the, I mean, the impact of living with that anxiety is that I have to create different strategies to know that I'm cared for. Mm-hmm. So some of that is sharing my location with people mm-hmm. um, and to reduce the, the whatever could happen. Right. I also can't live in a, like, what if this happened idea. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to do the best I can and recognize that the impact will have some sort of lasting impact around just living with anxiety. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I will say that, that the impact sucks, right. Mm -hmm. The, the fact that, um, the fact that I live with ongoing anxiety about being a gendered subject in this world that is different. Um, the fact that I that I am this gendered subject that is different and that, that that living has impact is something that I accept and something that has a sort of deep existential concern for me. Because I know that I know that I have tools and strategies to talk with people about gender and I know some of our babies don't. Hmm. And I I, while I know that there is impact, what I get really scared of and I'm scared about, um, are the babies, mm-hmm. the young folks mm-hmm. who are vulnerable and don't who are vulnerable and don't like, they don't have the skills or the tactics. They don't have the language. They don't have the toolbox, you know? So for example, today I'm going to East Carolina university to talk about gender justice as human rights work. And I think that if we don't begin to start at the place of like that, we all have inherent dignity and value, um, which is deeply embedded in our theologies, but we don't, we don't reach that far back and we don't affirm all of humanity. Um, you know, I, I'm afraid if we don't begin to look at, um, the underpinnings of the way that we look at gender and the need to do gender justice work. I think that our, our young people won't be able to develop the toolbox that they need. So when you're talking to an audience like you're going to talk to today, what, what do you share with them if they're maybe just starting out this journey of exploration? Like what, what are the things that folks need to do? And I would guess most of our audience identifies as cis, cisgender. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are some things that folks can do to start unlearning or at least to identify the ways in which they think of gender as like this given thing instead of a construct i think one of the first things is acknowledge that we have inherited a lot of thought a lot of theory a lot of ideas we have inherited these things and we should all be questioning the things that we've inherited Mm. Mm -hmm. period Mm -hmm. and if we don't do that work, then we run the risk of perpetuating multiple harms against people. And so I would say 
to those listening question the things that you've inherited about gender. If you think women should always be in a household barefoot and pregnant, you should question that. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I hope that your people don't <laughs> believe that. But that's an example of like right, right. inherited thoughts about gender. Right. right? And that, that's like the extreme example, but there can be lower levels of right. that, which is like, well, women are just better at taking care of kids. Right. Inherently. There's something inherent about that. Right. That makes you better. And therefore, like, we continue operating as if men can't do that or... Yeah, I mean, there's, like, all kinds of minor thoughts that are connected mm-hmm. to the, what you just said. And and that type of, of... That type of thinking that females, for example, have some sort of inherent um, skill, we call that gender essentialism. Right. Right? Um, and I would much, much lean toward gender as social construction, mm-hmm. whereas you're not born a woman, but women are made. Mm-hmm. They're, they're constructed, right? Femaleness is constructed. Femininity is constructed. There's lots of variations of what it means to be female. Um, this is what I mean by social construction, that that you avoid... Uh, you avoid the sort of stable, inherent thing that identifies one or or the other, mm-hmm. male or female, and you lean toward a more generative and something that is socially constructed. So, so for example, myself as a trans queer Latinx, I'm born of a Mexican immigrant and an Anglo father. So. Both my race and culture are in in a hybrid space, or in what I what I like to call Nepala, in the sort of in between space. So, how do I, as a mixed race Latinx, live? Do do I believe that there's some sort of inherent, um, stable notion of what it means to be mixed race? No, I think that I pull from the cultures that have influenced me and I construct my understanding of myself as a Latinx person. It is it in the same way I do that with gender, that, that there are lots of things about masculinity that I love. And there are a lot of things that I don't love about mm-hmm. masculinity, like the toxicity mm-hmm. and the ways that little boys are socialized to be dominant, for example. So I much prefer a tender masculinity over sort of the dominance, male mm-hmm. dominance that we see both in our religions and our politics and our in our world. So in this way, this is what I mean by we socially construct, we piece together. It's almost like quilting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, square by square, we, we build a sense of gender, we build a sense of sex, um, and we in, in, in some senses we build a sense of race too. Yeah. And honestly, what you're describing could free all of us, right? I mean, when we let go of the construction, we all get free. I, I mean, that's that's the hope, right? Is that when we when we challenge the inherited ideology, and and we come to the place of that gender is just an idea that is placed on us that 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 is imposed upon us, when we reject that notion. And we actually lean into the possibility of what gender could be. It feel it feels lighter to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Expectations go away. Mm-hmm. 
and there's imagination. And I think imagination is one of the best things we have on our side. Yeah. But carving out a new pathway can be intimidating for some folks, I think. And sometimes uh, brutal, right? Mm. I mean, I look at trans people today who are fighting for their life. And, you know, I think for for many of them, I think especially non-binary people who opt out of being male or female, as I do, there's not a lot of examples. Mm. And making a way out of no way um is hard mm-hmm. and there's a real burden to that but it's about livability mm-hmm. to me yeah i think what has struck me the most in our conversation and I, i've thought about it before but in certain spaces i mean you you are someone you're a thought leader you are someone that folks want to bring in and talk to their folks and in those spaces you have an identity that's different from when you're just kind of walking around in your normal day-to-day life yeah. and how in those spaces where nobody knows who you are, you don't get that privilege of the academic recognition and like, right. this is Robin the theologian. It's just how you're perceived by yeah. other people, which um, is really terrifying, honestly. Um, so you identify as a person of faith. How does that play into your kind of imagination around gender where do you find where do you find inspiration from from the divine or the sacred however you would define it in your in your work and in your life well I I think that the psalms are a great place to to look for um who we are as people who are uh, made of dust right um I I think about Psalm 139 that Mm -hmm. regardless of who or what you are, how you identify male, female, or transgender, or none of the above, that 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 creation is made fearfully and wonderfully. Mm -hmm. And when we start at that place, um, and when we remember that the eunuch was the first person that Jesus baptized. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, when we begin to hold those pieces, then we begin to chart a different path around faith and belonging and our liturgies and our theologies. And, you know, I, I, I often say, as often as I can, I don't care about what you believe. I care about your politics. Mm. Because your politics will tell me what you believe. Mm-hmm. You could tell me all day long that you're anti-racist and trans-affirming and um, all, all these things, right? But if actually your politics, and by that I mean the ways that you engage in society and with your neighbor, if your social practices show me that actually you don't believe in the inherent value of all creation, and you don't believe that we are all fearfully and wonderfully made, um, then I think we need to go back to our scriptures and to our, to our theologies and and look at what is what is before us because you know i want to say that it's there mm-hmm. right um we i think we have a chance in this moment um to to dismantle the toxic ideologies that hate those who are different and i think that 
Christianity is a great place to start because it's anti-empire in its sort of origins. Um, but we've made it into um, a religion of empire. Mm-hmm. So if we go back to to really look at sort of the stories that are collected um, throughout scripture, we'll see we'll see a different imagination for a different world. Um, that's my hope. It's beautiful. Thank Where you. can people find you and follow your work? Oh Lord, <laughs> lots of different What's places. Your <laughs> yeah, so my website is irobin.com, and that's R O B Y N. And I'm on the Instagrams at irobin, and on Twitter at irobin. And I'm very excited because I get to tell you that I run a collaborative project in Nashville, Tennessee, called the Activist Theology Project, working to incubate sustainable change by responding to the needs of the world. Excellent. We'll link to all that in the show notes so people can find yes. you. Thanks yes. so much for being on Kindreds. It's so good to be here. Thank you. I had such a good time with Robin. I wish that we had had more time to talk about this, but I felt like they brought up some really important points um, about their own life, but also for those of us who are in the church and in the world. So what what thoughts or questions came up for you as you were listening to our conversation? I love that conversation so much. And um, I just want to thank Robin for giving their time um, to do this. And I uh, I got to meet Robin last year when you and I were presenting at the Sojourner Summit together. Mm-hmm. And Robin was also a speaker, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, uh, I really found your conversation fascinating. And I think one of my favorite parts is that you both really named the sort of false gender binary Mm -hmm. that exists. And it's something that's really been on my mind a lot because, um, you know, our listeners know I have a little boy now and I have a lot of uh, fears about raising him in a culture and in a family that really upholds strong gender binaries. You know, men are a certain way, women are a certain way. And it feels like, and I don't know if you think this is true, but it feels like there's a lot more permission for girls to explore gender than there than there is for boys. Um, little girls can be a tomboy. They're encouraged to be, you know, to do anything a boy can do and to to pursue um, sports and things that are are maybe considered more masculine. But I feel like there's not that same permission for boys to like things that are coded feminine mm-hmm. or to wear skirts or um, you know, be more, even like more nurturing and have dolls and things like that. There's some of that pushback too. And so I just, I worry a little bit about what my son is going to face. And I feel like the best thing I can do is to just role model, um, for my husband and I to role model all the different ways that men and women can express their gender outside of the binary. But I I don't know. What do you think? I love when Robin talks about the soft masculinity. Um, yeah. And, and I think that non, non-binary non folks can really help lead the way with our imagination about what yeah. it means to, to be humans with gender identities and that they don't have to have this essentialist viewpoint, like you were saying, that there's yeah. a dichotomy and this, is, this means this and this means that. I think your comment about about what little girls, what's permiss- permissible for little girls is interesting and I think is generally true. And I think it's true because re- we reward masculinity in this culture. Yeah. Masculinity is 
uh, seen as superior to femininity. Yep. So for little girls to partake in activities that are more boy, are traditionally boy oriented, she's being rewarded for participating in masculinity. I think that that only goes so far. And I think when mm-hmm. when um, puberty comes around, I don't think that that same um, cuteness is attached to it anymore. So I think it's really yeah. something that only little girls are allowed to participate in. And you even mentioned this. I don't know if you said it, but that girls like that are called tomboys. And we we, we still associate them with yeah. the boy term, which is really interesting. Yeah. Like they can't be like full girls or, you know, have yep. the gender identity as a girl and do these um, these other kinds of activities aren't associated with, with girlhood. So it's, it's really, really interesting, but I do agree with you that there's a certain, this is when men and boys really, um, lose something with patriarchy, which is they're forced to cut off from Mm -hmm. their emotional selves or nurturing selves, or if they do, they're, they're penalized for it. And it's really unfair. And I, I can imagine the struggle that you have in thinking about raising a a son, a son for now, um, in this culture. This came up in your conversation as well, but the sort of gender policing Mm -hmm. that people do, um, of others is something that I find really problematic and confusing to me why we need to sort of police each other's expression of gender or, um, their identity, like telling them which bathrooms they can use and, and, and chasing them out of bathrooms and things like that. But also the, the policing that we do of little kids, Mm -hmm. it starts so young. Mm -hmm. I, um, had a nephew, I was painting my niece's nails and my nephew came up and he was like four or five at the time. And he was curious and poking around and one, and you could tell he wanted his nails painted and I said, oh, do you want me to paint yours too? And a family member from across the room was like, oh, that's for girls. Mm. And he immediately like, it was like, he snatched his hand back away from me. Aww. It was enough, you know, that was enough. And I said, well, I've got blue nail polish if that makes a difference. But it was like, that was, that was all it took. And mm-hmm. I feel like that the, the policing starts so young mm-hmm. and it's in small incessant little comments like that yep and that being a girl um, is a bad thing yes exactly that's for girls and that's bad um that's the the struggle I really I really have you know we do get a lot of leeway in sort of breaking down the binary for girls for little girls anyway like you said there is a point um after puberty, probably where where we are expected to be and dress and act and look more feminine, mm-hmm. um, but at least women can wear pants. You know, like we, not always. That's kind of recent thing, and not everywhere. Not always, and not everywhere. Not in a. I know um, what you mean. Not in a courtroom. Yeah, but uh, the idea that you know boys can have more like creative expression with their clothes. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm already finding the limitations of little boy clothes. Mm-hmm. It is ridiculous. Everything I can buy for him is shades of blue, gray, camo. I mean, like, I can't. <laughs> and it it's is, like it is, mommy's little football star or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's really difficult. And if you don't want sports things or construction or. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. It's so limiting. It's so limiting. So we're just going to have to see, you know, what what kind of boy he turns into because right now we assume he's a boy. <laughs> that's all. That's the information we have to go on. Right. Um, but time may tell he may decide or he he may tell us something very different. 
And I will, when we get to the, what we're reading and listening to, I'll share something, um, a resource there that, um, really explores that idea a little bit more of raising a a transgender child. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, those, those are just some things that I thought about as you two were talking. And, um, I just want to thank you for that conversation. I thought it was really wonderful. I'm glad. One quick image that might make you feel a little bit better is when I go to pick up Sam from school. Often if it's raining, the kids are inside playing. And almost always, there are little boys dressed up in the Elsa gowns at Love school. <laughs> I mean, without <laughs> fail. I always kind of have to take a double take. I'm like, oh, awesome. Like, the little boys here are are liking these beautiful dress-up clothes that are fun and sparkly yeah and I you know it doesn't seem to be like a thing and the teachers always kind of go like we love that they will will dress up and I know that's a really small example but I'm glad at least among that subculture of like four or five year olds who do have strong opinions about gender that even there there's some there's some gender bending going on (laughs) yeah Um, and just saying hey this is what I like right um so the thing that I, I and I brought this up in our conversation but just trying to empathize with the amount of anxiety that Robin carries around and just having to be in a constant state of being very alert of surroundings and having to plot out where can I use the restroom or having to have extra time to go through TSA. Although they didn't talk about it this time. I know that um, they and others I've talked to, you know, because if they use practices like binding or whatever, our TSA system is based on the binary. And so they're looking for bodies mm-hmm. to look certain ways. And mm-hmm. and if you don't, you can be flagged and subject to all kinds of undignified treatment in the airport. So just kind of thinking about the kind of toll that this is taking on, on communities just to be in their bodies walking around in public is, is something yeah. that is very sobering for me. But what I appreciate about Robin is their incredible brain, (laughs) but also their theological and ethical imagination about what the world can look like. And I think we all get free if we can dare to deconstruct these binaries, not just around gender, but around race and other things that keep us right and left, conservative, progressive, like all of those binaries really entrap us and keep us from being fully who we are. And I am thankful for the contribution of folks like Robin and helping us reshape our imagination about what the world can be, because I really think we all benefit when we deconstruct and create something new. You can't see me, but I'm over here snapping. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're such a good social justice person with your snaps. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I hope all of you enjoyed hearing from Robin and um, make sure to follow them on on Twitter and on their website. I, Robin, will link to that in the show notes, too. Yeah. So what are you reading? (laughs) Well, we were talking before, and I want to make sure that we have resources for adults, and we'll make sure that that is in the that's in the show notes and links to all the definitions. But I also wanted to lift up kids books because this is something that you and I are thinking about is how do we start early with our children in the kind of stories and books that we look at to explore gender. And so there were three, I'm just going to mention really quickly that I think are really good. And our public library has on the shelves. So hopefully they're available to you. Um, the first two are for for starting with pre-K. One is Julian is a Mermaid, 
and it's about um, a little a little boy, I think, and his uh, with his abuela seeing women dressed up um, beautifully, like in gowns, and wanting to be like them, and kind of not being sure if the abuela will be supportive or not. So um, that's a really good one. That one's by Jessica Love. And then there's one called Neither, which is maybe more talking about that non-binary concept where there's two kinds of creatures, blue bunnies and yellow birds, and then a green thing hatches and it's not like the others. And um, what does it mean to be accepted when you're different from from the binary? And that's by um, Airely Anderson. And then the last one is one of my favorites called Sparkle Boy. We got this from the library um, not long ago. Start. It's for, It says it's for kindergartners and up, but I thought Sam at four could take it, um, could understand it. So there's a little boy who loves like blocks and trucks and stuff, but also loves everything that sparkles. Did I say Sparkle Boy? I don't know if I said that. Sparkle yes, Boy is the title. Yeah. And um, his little sister in the book will be like, you're not allowed to do that because boys don't do X, Y, Z. And like him just kind of continuing to like all the sparkly things. And there's actually a scene where the little boy is teased by some older boys and the, and the sister um, kind of intercedes and intervenes and stands up for him. So it's a really great story about um, gender expression and kind of what it means to be an ally, too. So that's by Leslie Newman. And we'll link to all of those in the show notes. You can check them out. I love it. Yeah. I um, I have a friend whose little boy is really into mermaids. and um, Mermaids are awesome. Looking... <laughs> yes. I mean, who doesn't love mermaids? Um, and I found Juliana as a mermaid um, when I was looking for some some uh book ideas for them too. Although my library system does not carry it. Um, so that may be something you'll come across in maybe more rural areas or where your library system isn't as well funded or isn't as, um, current. Um, but I know these are all available online as well. Um, but yeah, I was really excited when I saw that you included that one. I think it is such a cute book. So what have you been listening to? Yeah, so I've been listening to this one for a really long time, and I thought today was a great time to share it. So have you ever listened to the How to Be a Girl podcast? I haven't listened to it, but I've heard you mention it before. Oh my gosh, it is so good. Okay, so this is why I wanted to share it. It is the podcast of um, a mother and daughter. So the uh, the author of the podcast is Marlo Mack. That's her pseudonym. Um, she is the mother of a trans daughter. And she starts off the podcast um, basically by tell by telling their story. Um, one day when her child was like two or between two and three, I think she said um, they she had been born um, with boy genitalia, and they had always considered her a boy. And she said, um, "Mommy, I wish I could climb up into your belly and come back out a girl." Oh, and break your yeah, heart. Knew that young, yes. And they, what's cool about this is it's um, from the perspective of, it's from Marlo's perspective as the mother of a child and kind of navigating, like, is this just a phase? And then when, you know, they, they took her to psychologists and they, um, they tried to figure it out and they wanted it to be a phase and then coming to the acceptance that this is not a phase. And so now what are we going to do? And they um, decided to go all in and be supportive of her. And she's fourth or fifth grade now. And she uh, transitioned to being a girl while she was in um, elementary school, pre-K elementary school, somewhere around there, um, and started dressing and living as a girl. And um, 
now that her daughter's a little older, her daughter features a lot more in the podcast. And they have a lot of great conversations about um, just what it's like to be trans. And they talk about when scary things happen in the news, like bathroom bills. Mm. And Marlo um, has gotten involved in a community of parents of trans kids. And um, she shares a lot about her um, kind of activism uh, with them. And, um, their fears about like, should she be the the, more recently, the most recent episode is about their fears of her daughter starting a new school. And should she tell people that she's trans or should she be stealth, which is to present as the gender you want to present as and not tell anybody. Mm. And, um, she in the past has been stealth, but told a few close friends and had a, um, an incident last year where one of her friends told some other kids and they had to deal with that. And it's just a really incredible and vulnerable podcast because this, this family is really opening up their lives to us. And in so doing, they really give us this look into all of the considerations and decisions and the thoughts and the anxieties and stresses, like you mentioned, of what it's like to be trans in a in a society that is very, very binary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope that our listeners will all go seek this podcast out. It's a it's just really great and it's really eye opening and it's things that if you haven't thought about it before, it gives you a lot to think about. I for me it built my compassion and empathy for folks that I don't know much about. Mm-hmm. And um, I, th- I think it's a really useful tool for that. So yeah, check out How to Be a Girl podcast. And they also have a Patreon. You can go support them too. Oh, great. I mean, they do some really incredible work. Yeah. Wonderful. I love that you can follow the journey over years too and what it's like and how yes. it changes as she grows up. Yeah. Yeah. So who are our kindreds of the moment? Our kindreds of the moment is the National Center for Transgender Equality, and they are the nation's leading social justice advocacy organization um, for transgender people. And I heard, I've heard about them in the past, but I was listening to Jonathan Van Ness's podcast, Getting Curious, which yes. I love. And I learned from you about when he was talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, <laughs> but oh, yeah. I've continued to listen to it because I just love Jonathan. And he did a live show in Washington, D.C. with their founder and executive director, um, Mara Kiesling. And so I got to hear directly from her about how she got the center started and what their res- what their challenges are in this particular administration, what their challenges have been for a long time. It's really enlightening. I'll make sure to link to that specific podcast. But they also have some really helpful resources on understanding non-binary gender identity and how to support folks who identify that way. And I'll link to this too, but I thought just quickly, they have some really useful tips of how to be respectful and supportive of non-binary people. You don't have to understand, it's probably most important, you don't have to understand what it means for someone to be non-binary to respect them. I mean, come on. But it's (laughs) good. It's like, you don't have to get it. Like, doesn't matter if you don't get it. Um, Yep. Yep. I love it. Use the name a person asks you to use because a lot of times folks change names. Uh, yep. Try not to make any assumptions about people's gender. That was what I did in that um, interaction with Robin was to make assumptions. If you're not sure what pronouns someone uses, just ask. It's better to ask than to assume and then have to undo that later. 
mm-hmm. uh, advocate for non-binary friendly policies. Um, understanding that for many non-binary people, figuring out which bathroom to use can be challenging. Um, this is also something that I have seen in being friends with Robin and just like sometimes accompanying people to the restroom can mm-hmm. be um, a great just act of solidarity if they're comfortable with that. Um, and then talk to non-binary people to learn more about who they are, which is just let's all be human and <laughs> get to know each other and yeah. learn to be in relationship with each other. You can learn more about the center uh, at transequality.org, and we'll link to that if you want to support their work or sign up for more resources. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I, th- I think those are some really great tips. Yep. So that's it for today. Next time is our listener request episode. So be sure to get any questions or comments in that you'd like us to address. And that will be our last show of 2018. That's right. Yeah. So be sure to ask us about our favorite Gilmore Girls episode or character. We would be happy to answer any and all questions about Gilmore Girls. (laughs) Yes, we'd love to. (laughs) Help us keep it light, (laughs) y'all. All right, we'll talk to you then. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. Talk, talk. I'm talking normal. Talk, talk. Yes.